0: Well, I don't know if uh, some of you will remember this, but um, when I was a kid, there were these books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Anybody remember these books? Yeah? yeah, Okay. So, the, the Choose Your Own Adventure books, I think there's a picture of them up there on the screen. I'd, I'd click it, but I don't have it. Uh, uh, these Choose Your Own Adventure books, the way they worked is, um, you know, you'd know, you read through a, a chapter, uh, and, and at the end of the chapter, there were going to be several choices as to what direction you wanted to make the story go okay and so you'd have a few choices and then depending on that choice you would turn to the page that it tells you to turn to and then you'd read through that chapter and you'd reach another point where you had to make a decision and sometimes it worked out for you and sometimes it didn't all right this is not a book you'd read just straight through because it would make no sense but they were a lot of fun to read and they were really popular and i don't know are they still around they are okay are they just the same books Okay. No, yeah. Y'all are confused. Some of them are just the same books, but some of them are not. So they're really fun to read. And it, you like, I mean, you take a book that's, you know, maybe yay thick and it turns out to be only that thick because you're choosing your own adventure and you're skipping half the book. It's great for those of you who don't like to read a whole lot because you can get through a big book and fast. But if you think about it, guys, your your entire life is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure kind of experience. Because at every turn, at every challenge, at every bend in the road, you have an opportunity to make a choice. You, Am I going to do this? Or am I, am I going to do that? Am I going to give in? Or am I going to push through whatever it is I'm facing right now? Am I going to take this particular path in my life or uh, even in just one single little circumstance? Or am I going to take maybe an entirely different path? The choices are endless. And I can tell you that for the entirety of your life on this earth, you are going to be faced with choices. You're going to have decisions to make. You're going to have to choose which direction that you travel. You're going to have to choose which path that you will go on. And we're beginning this morning our, our Summer of Psalms series. Uh, there's, you didn't, did you guys see my Pineapples. Somebody told me, could we move this, there we go, could we move this series to wherever that is? And uh, I'm in favor of that, Uh, we can do that. We're starting some of our Psalms today, and we're going to begin right in the very first Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, and it's just six short verses, and we're going to, all of them are important for us today in the context of what I want to talk to you about. So if you have Bibles, you can turn there with me. And we'll read this together. This psalm is talking about how you are going to live your life, the choices that you make. So let's look at that together. Psalm 1-1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, one of the things I really love about this particular psalm is that it kind of gives it to you straight. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't really beat around the bush on this one. This is a very straightforward, kind of in-your-face passage of Scripture. We, we often will attribute the psalms to, to David uh, but, but, but that's not really the whole story, and that's definitely not the case in this one because the Psalms actually cover a wide period of time, and different Psalms are attributed to different authors, and David certainly wrote some of the Psalms. Um, and Psalms 1 doesn't necessarily have a, real, a clearly identified author, and in a lot of ways, this first chapter of Psalms reads a little bit more like a wisdom teaching for us than maybe some of the other Psalms. And I think that this wisdom in particular is pretty rich and has something important for us. So I spoke last week as we closed out uh, our prayer series on the idea that prayer is a conduit through which we are able to access the presence of God. And and one of the things that I mentioned was that there are some people, and it's usually those who who are pretty new to the faith, or perhaps they're on the outskirts of actually having a real relationship with Jesus, that, that, that they think that being a Christian is basically the key to a good life. And, and, and it is a good life, don't get me wrong. <laughs> being a Christian is a good life. But the idea is that sometimes from some people, they think if I'm a Christian, then I'm not going to have any troubles and God's going to take care of everything for me. Uh, but then when he doesn't, well, then maybe I'm doing this whole Christianity thing wrong or maybe this whole God thing is just a sham. And, and what that is, 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 a, is a severe misunderstanding of the promises that God makes to us. He, he does not promise easy street living. But He does promise His presence and His guidance and His care and so on in our, in our lives. And sometimes that, that misperception can be born out of a passage like here that we read in Psalm 1 we read it and we say, wow, (laughs) if I am a righteous person, God says that I'm going to be like a tree planted by streams of water, and I'm going to produce fruit, and my leaves are not going to wither, and we think, this is what I want, right? I, I want this. This is what I'm looking for. I mean, aren't we all? Don't we want those things? This is a great promise of God, but it does come with some other conditions, we, we want to be blessed, and God does want to bless us. But in order to experience all that God is promising, there are some things that have to happen in our lives. There are some choices that we have to make. And the psalmist is, is pretty clear on what needs to happen. And so let's look at that together. These are the things that the psalmist says has to happen. The first one is that in order to be blessed... You have to not walk in step with the wicked. He also says to not stand in the way that sinners take. And then the third thing he says is to not sit in the company of mockers. These are on the screen, April, if you want to throw them up there. Let me do it again. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, these first three things that we see, I get, I'm not seeing them back there, but up here. All right. It's been one of those weeks, right? Miranda, Matt, it's been one of those weeks. I was going to take off my salmon shirt and take a nap. All right. (laughs) He says three things. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, these three things are all negative. I'm not not here. I'm not going to take off my salmon shirt and take a nap. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> but yeah, amen. <laughs> what the, what the author's saying, can you go back to that, April? I'm sorry. What the author's is saying is this these are the things that you are to not do. This is what a blessed person does not do. And, and they're, they're kind of a regression, all right? It starts with walking, and then moves to standing, and then finally it ends with sitting. And the author uses three different subjects. You have the first, you have the wicked, then you have the sinners, and then you have the the mockers, which is also kind of a regression. It goes from to walking, to standing, to sitting, and it goes from wicked to sinners to mockers. And when we look at the original Hebrew, the wicked is just someone who is guilty, The sinner is someone who is willfully choosing to sin, and the mocker is someone who is just outright deriding and scoffing God. So the picture that's painted for us is this. Someone who is blessed, which means someone who is experiencing God's favor in their lives and as a a result enjoys the happiness that comes from that favor, is not someone who is walking with the wicked. Now, Remember, in this picture of regression, our first glimpse here is just walking, right? That's that the casual encounter, that, that occasional interaction. That's dipping our toes in the water of whatever it is that is contrary to God's commands and His desire for our lives. And then we act like it's no big deal. It's like one of my little boys, you know, we, we have a swimming pool at our house and, and uh and actually, the people we bought the house from are here. I won't point them out. And I'm just going to say, I would never buy a house with a swimming pool again. But we do have a pool. And, uh, and uh, my boys wanted to swim yesterday, but one of them did not. And our rule is this. If you're going to be on the pool deck, you have to have your swimmer floater on, right? And he's like, but dad, I'm not going to get in the pool. I'm just going to put my feet in. No, you're not. You're going to end up in the pool, and it's not going to go well. We do this same thing. Like, I'm just going to dip my toes into this particular situation. I'm just going to just test it out for a little bit. And we, we think it's not controlling my life, so it's totally okay. The second glimpse is when we stand in the way of sinners. And this does not mean like getting in someone's way, like someone's walking through and you're staying. that's not what that means. This means standing in the way that someone is living and then receiving counsel from them. This is just a, a step further than the walking. This is where we start to get maybe a little bit more comfortable. And the only reason that we're comfortable is because we were totally okay with just walking. Walking was not a problem. So standing for a moment, I mean, meh, what's the big deal? But now instead of something casual and perhaps something passing in, in nature, we have, we have allowed our lives to stop just long enough to receive from the sinner something that we should be receiving somewhere else. Stick with me. The third glimpse is sitting in the company of mockers. Now remember, regression, right? We went from walking to standing and now we are full on taking a seat with those who are outright denying, mocking, and scoffing God. And we might think, I will never get there. Right? I I could never do that. I'm telling you, that kind of arrogance and perhaps ignorance is exactly what allows you to get there because it's something that more often than not happens over time. It's not an overnight thing for, for most of us. It's one step at a time until we find ourselves in a place where, where there is a deep sense of loss and, and a reality of darkness that we never imagined we would find ourselves in. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who does not do these things, but, he says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Now, there's a a very practical picture that's painted for us here. Uh, The reader of the psalm would have known that the law of the Lord was the Torah, and that's the first five books of the Old Testament. And these five books were not just uh, uh, five books of stories to be told at bedtime or for us to put up on our flannel graph, but they were stories that brought alive the very character of God. They were stories that were meant to show us who God is, to to teach us how God operates and, and to let us know what God expects from our lives and what God desires from us individually. And it is on these things that the psalmist says, the one who is blessed will meditate. And that idea of meditation is something that we it's made to understand sometimes because when we, we think about meditation, we picture a guy over in the corner with his legs crossed and he's humming, and that's, that's not at all what's being talked about here. If you don't ever, you ever seen a cow chew? <laughs> he's going to be on your plate here in about an hour. It's probably not the most appetizing thing. To, I mean, it's cute, I guess, if you're like a cow person. But it's probably not the most appetizing thing to watch. We call it, when a cow's chew, we call it chewing their cud, right? Okay. And uh, so the process, and some of you all are farmers now. going to like, you're not getting this exactly right, Pastor Mark. I'm going to go, that's fine. I'm preaching you're not. Let me just tell my story. <laughs> so uh, the process involves chewing what they're eating, and then they send it to a stomach, and then it comes back from that stomach for more chewing and so on and so on, all right? Is that generally correct? Thank you. All right. And I read something this week that I thought was really interesting that I did not know before. If a cow is chewing its cud, doing that process, that means the cow is healthy. How many of you knew that? That, that means things are functioning correctly. They're suppo- it seems gross, but that is an indication of the cow being healthy. Chewing cud for a cow is a sign that they're healthy and that everything's working the way it's supposed to. Now give me just, just a minute on this one. All right? Some of you already know where I'm going. The psalmist says we are to meditate on God's law day and night. And that we are to delight in it. You see, most of us read for accomplishment. I read the Bible in a year, Pastor. Great. I'm going to read all four Gospels this week. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. But let me ask you, are you meditating on it? Is, is what you're taking in coming back up? At any point in your life? Is what you're ingesting resurfacing in your character? In how you handle yourself? Are you really chewing on this? Are you really thinking about it? Are you really praying about it? Or are you just trying to get through that 12-day Bible study on version? Or maybe, maybe you're just scarfing as much as you possibly can and eating the way that most of us think cows eat. Because here's what happens according to the psalm. He says, if you meditate on God's law day and night, if you really let it soak into your thought life, if you really let it work to develop your character, if you really begin to understand who God is and what God wants for your life, if, if you make the kind of choices that reject the ways of the wicked, the sinner and the mocker, if you decide that you are going to live a life that's set apart and you are going to be different for the sake of following Jesus, then you will be a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither and who prospers in all they do. What a promise. You see, we want to jump to that part of the promise. We just want to claim that part of it, and we miss the whole front end where God says, listen, these things cannot happen. These things must happen, and if this happens, then this will happen. We, we all want that promise. We want those things for our lives, and God says, I will give that to you if you make the right choice. Do you ever have surprise trees in your yard? Anybody ever get a surprise tree? Most Most of our surprise trees don't Actually, show up in the yard because I have to mow every 2.25 days, and so they never get a chance to do anything. But the surprise trees usually show up somewhere in a flower bed, right? Because they they can kind of get in there, and you don't know what's happening. You come out, you know, two or three weeks later, and you go, "That is not a flower. Where did that? It's a surprise tree, right? It just it just somehow got there, and it grows right up in the midst of everything. And then you're trying to pull a tree out of your flower bed. Those are that's an accident. That's just something that happened by chance. But listen to me this morning. This is not the case with God. When God talks about trees being planted by streams of water, that was not just a seed that fell. That was an intentional act by God. The psalm says that you are choosing, when you are choosing the way of righteousness, that you are planted by streams of water. That's very intentional. And, and, and it's done in such a way that that you gain access to all that God has made available for you. God is a giver of life. And so our lives are planted in a natural place of abundance. They are planted in a place of good things. We might read that. We might hear that. We say, yes, God wants to make me rich. No, no. That's not actually what the Scripture teaches at all. If you look at it again, it says the tree... Produces fruit. You see that? The tree produces fruit. Now, I have two apple trees in my yard, and in an effort to really confirm whether or not I could say this to you this morning, I've watched my apple trees all week long, and I have something that's gonna blow your mind to tell you today. You guys probably never thought about this. I know when I realized it, I was like, this is amazing. Apple trees do not eat their own fruit. Have you ever noticed that? I have not once yet seen a tree in my yard pick the fruit off itself and eat it. Have you ever seen your tree pick its own fruit and eat it? Anybody? Okay, good. Does that not blow your mind? Did you know that trees that produce fruit do not eat their own fruit? Did you know that? That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being ridiculous. Naturally, trees don't eat their own fruit. But I'll tell you what, we really like to eat the fruit that we produce. And we look at this and we go, man, the scripture says that I will produce fruit. Great, because I've been wanting to get a boat. I've been ready for that new house, for that new car. I can't wait to go on that vacation. I mean, I've been producing fruit, so ha! i got to eat it. No, a tree produces fruit for somebody else. A tree produces fruit so that other people will benefit. It's a silly picture, but it's important for us to understand trees grow fruit for others. The fruit that God wants to see in your life is not intended to make your life better. It's intended to make the lives of others better. You are made to be a blessing You are designed to be a giver of life to everyone that is around you, and you cannot give life if you are not planted near the streams of life. We are to be producers. We are to be bearers of fruit, not so that our lives could somehow benefit, but so that the lives of everyone around us would benefit. The life of a blessed person is marked by intentional, God-honoring, sin-rejecting choices. This means... You cannot be like the world. You cannot choose what makes you feel good. You have to choose what honors God. You cannot choose what feels right. You must choose what is righteous and holy. And we live in a world today where more and more there are these incredibly loud voices that are just encouraging us to be who we are and to just choose whatever makes us feel good. But the God of the Bible, the author of life, is calling us into something so much greater. Our pursuit is not what makes us feel good, but what glorifies Him. There's an understanding out there that when we make... God-honoring choices, and we choose to live in obedience to His purpose and His plan for our lives, that, that, that we find ourselves in a firm foundation. We're not easily moved. We're not easily swayed because we have been planted by Him. But the psalmist is also clear that this is not the case for those who choose otherwise. He calls them chaff. The chaff is the part of the stalk of grain that that simply blows away when the harvest is done. It has no use. It has no stability, and so it just blows away because of the reality of its own circumstances. And it goes further. The psalmist says that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And this is a different stand than what we see in verse 1. In this case, in this verse, it means that they will have no foundation. They will have no connection. They will have nothing to hold on to. The wicked, when faced with the judgment of God, will have no defense. There's an idea that's pervasive in our world today that says, I can do this by myself, and I don't need anybody's help. That is arrogant incredibly misguided. I don't care how strong you are. I I don't care how independent you are. I don't care how different you are. Let me tell you something. You need help. In fact, if your mantra in life is I'm going to be me and you can just deal with it, you have gone so far, so far from God's intent for you. so far that, that you are already at the risk, if not completely engulfed in becoming chaff. You have lost your foundation. You have placed your hope in self rather than in God. Psalmist says this in verse six. He said, The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And what our world wants is to read this verse like this. We want it to say, for the Lord watches over the ways of those who consider themselves righteous, but the ways of the wicked might lead to destruction. But it doesn't say that. It does not say that. The New Testament also shares this understanding of having a blessed life. Jesus was the one who said that in the kingdom of God, truly happy people included those who are persecuted, persecuted, persecuted because of their allegiance to him and to the gospel. It says this in Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, or against you because of me rather. And he says this in verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But you have to notice what's being persecuted for righteousness. It's not being persecuted for what we like or how we feel. <laughs> Persecution, persecuted for righteousness is something entirely different. Like not walking with the wicked, not standing with the sinners and not sitting with the marker, with the mockers. It is a it is a called out life. It is a different life. It is the life that God tells us to live, and it's the life that Jesus taught his disciples to live. Jesus said, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you want to save your life, you have to be willing to lose your life. He said, but if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, guess what? You are going to actually save it. He said, it doesn't make a difference if you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul. He said he would be ashamed of you if you are ashamed of him. Yeah. You are living, you are living a choose your own adventure story. <laughs> and the choices you make today. The people that you choose to associate with, the voices that you choose to, to listen to, the sin that you choose to let into your life will be what determines where your adventure goes. I want to close with this this morning. And all God's people said, that's right. <laughs> the Apostle Paul. Wrote what I'm about to share to you in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, and he was talking about staying the course and, 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 and understanding that we're we're in this in our natural state we are imperfect. You you are imperfect. But, but that through God and his presence in our lives, and when we choose to surrender him, we become strengthened, and we get placed on a different course. And this is what he said. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body so then death is at work in us but life is at work in you know this today it's the death of Jesus that makes available the removal of guilt and of sin from your life that's what his death did he he paid that price And those things can be removed from your life. And then it is the resurrection of Jesus that opens up this door to this promise of eternal life. Like there's something beyond this moment. This is what God has offered to you. Here are my gifts to you. My gift to you is that you don't have to pay the penalty. You don't have to pay the price. My gift to you is that it doesn't have to end when you take your last breath. I, I breath. I shared this story yesterday at, at Christine's uh, celebration of life, and I want to share it again today. Uh, Christine McAdam, as you guys know, passed away this past week. We celebrated her life right here yesterday morning. And if you know Christine McAdam, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk for a few. Keep playing. It's wonderful. Christine used to sit right over here, and 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 Christine, man, she would worship. And she, she did not care what song we sang, how fast it was, how slow it was, anything. She was all in it. She loved to worship. You know why? Because she loved Jesus. She just loved Jesus, and she loved people, and she loved me. And, and I think it was John, your boy John, that, that said, man, I bet you you know, any pastor would love to have a room full of Christines. That is so true. Because she, every sermon was the best sermon I ever preached, <laughs> The other day when Christine was in her last moments, for several days, she had been basically not very responsive. You know, she'd open her eyes a little bit from time to time and not really communicating. I did get to hear her say, yeah. I think it was Carol asked her, "Are are you cold? Are you warm? She said, yeah. And, and, uh, but, but not much from her, and so it was the last day of Christine's life, and, and, and Lyle and Lloyd and Lisa and Carol were all there in the room, and they had made the decision to have their meal there at that point, and it's a good thing they did, because as they were finishing up their meal, they began to notice a change in Christine's breathing, and, uh, and, and they all went over to the bed, and, and her breathing kind of changed, and all of a sudden her eyes opened up real wide, and she was gone. you know what I think? We don't know. Not not anybody here that I know of has been in that particular moment of their life and got a full report on what was happening. But let me just tell you what I think. This is what I think. I think that there was an expectation because she had held tightly to these promises. I have forgiven your sins and there is a promise beyond this life. And she knew it. She believed it. She lived it. And in that moment, as she took her last few breaths, her eyes literally opened here on earth and she saw her glory. She saw the glory of God. She saw the presence of God. She was welcomed into the arms of Jesus. Here's the thing, guys. This is what God has offered to you. But then he says, you must choose the adventure you're going to live. As one who is blessed, who is firmly planted by the streams of his life-giving water, producing a fruit that is a blessing to all and giving life to all of those who are around you. This is what he asks. This is what he requires of you. Or, like chaff, be blown away. No foundation. Ultimately lost. It does not matter where you find yourself today. Perhaps you are more tree planted by the stream or you are more chaff. The invitation to make a new choice in your adventure is always there. Always. And this is what God is calling you to right now. God says, I have given you this foundation, but it's your choice to build there. It's your decision to build there. Heavenly Father, one of the beautiful and yet incredibly challenging realities of who you are is that the choice is ours. You don't force anything on us. You don't dictate anything for us. But, man, you have given us this this incredible uh, smorgasbord of of blessings and opportunities. And, And so often, God, we get to the end of one chapter and we choose the wrong direction in our story. We get tripped up by one particular set of circumstances. We get, we get bothered by one thing that has happened in our life. We get discouraged by one particularly rough road. And we say, I'm just going to switch my path here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a path that maybe looks a little bit easier, or makes me feel a little bit better. This is who I want to be. But God, you have called us. You have called us to a life of holiness and to a life of righteousness. You have called us to separate ourselves from the things that the world is embracing. Not just to be different, not just to to be problematic, but to be holy, to be righteous to be producers of a fruit that blesses the nations, to be givers of life to all who are around us, to be a witness to those that our leaves do not wither in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, to prosper not for the sake of our own pocket bits, but for the sake of blessing those who are in need. This is what we're called to do. God, help us to be those people. Help us to build our lives in a place that we will firmly be rooted in the foundation of who you are. Help us to choose the correct adventure as our story continues. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.